0: 27,000 people, to be exact, and 27,000 people on the sidewalk that could not get in to see this match. Bruno San Martino cannot get the belt back from Superstar Finneagram. I am the champion. I
1: am the greatest. I am the strongest. This is my belt. I got the proof, baby. I'm the man
0: to power, the man with the power. Too sweet to be sour.
1: Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 69, in which we will be remembering the legacy, the career, and the legend of superstar Billy Graham. And to do that this week, I am bringing back one of my most popular guests of the past, you know him from the Arcadian Vanguard podcasts, I'm talking about Howard Baum. We'll have Howard here in just a moment. A couple of things I wanted to get to first, just a few quick notes. The brand new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the August issue, which is the Super Cards issue, Roman Reigns on the cover is available now, and it has in it a column that I did, uh, the the lockup column, which I wrote all about the wrestling scene in Detroit, which, of course, a lot of you know is near and dear to my heart, being the home of the chic and big-time wrestling. And in this issue, I talk about the current wrestling scene in Detroit, including the fact that SummerSlam is going to be coming there um, next summer. But lots of other great things in the issue. Pick it up now. It's available at pwi-online.com. Also wanted to update everybody on the ongoing status of Irresistible Force, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon. For those that are wondering, I am still in the interview and research phase. I've been learning and discovering a lot of interesting things about Gorilla, a lot of um, fascinating details and it seems like everybody loved the man no surprise there everybody has glowing things to say about the legendary gorilla monsoon some of the people that i've interviewed recently include um, jerry briscoe bill apter i talked to nelson swegler who was the longtime television producer for the wwf Uh, kevin kelly most recently gary michael capetta who was very close to Gorilla. In fact, Gorilla helped get him into the business as a ring announcer. So those are the kind of interviews and the kind of research I've been doing lately. I'm looking to maybe start the actual writing of the book probably by some point in the summer, but I'll keep everybody posted. However, right now, I would like to get to the matter at hand. Of course, we all know by now that last week we lost one of the most influential, one of the most important one of the most iconic and innovative performers in the history of professional wrestling. And I can say that with confidence. Superstar Billy Graham was bigger than the business. He was a man who you can sort of trace the development of wrestling personas before Billy Graham and after Billy Graham. He is kind of a watershed moment. And unfortunately, we lost him last week after a long, health struggle that he was going through, the most recent one in which he was hospitalized at the beginning of the year. But of course, before that, we all know that for decades, unfortunately, the superstar was dealing with ongoing health issues, which ironically were directly connected to the most successful period of his career. Of course, being one of the first people in wrestling to really kind of experiment heavily with anabolic steroids, you know, they made him into the legend that he was or helped to do so. But they also unfortunately doomed him for many, many years for the rest of his life, which for a lot of his fans, like myself and others, it was very difficult to see. So in some ways, I guess it is a relief of sorts that superstar Billy Graham, Eldridge Wayne Coleman is finally at peace, finally at rest. And our condolences go out to his wife, Valerie, to his children, and to the rest of his family and friends. But right now, I would like to take you to the conversation that I just had with Howard. For those of you that may not know, Howard Baum, a longtime contributor to the 605 Super Podcast and other Arcadian Vanguard shows, and a very successful and accomplished pro wrestling photographer going back well over 40 years, sorry, Howard, to date you there, Uh, was also somebody who idolized the superstar, somebody who grew up in partially the New York and then later the Florida area and got to see superstar Billy Graham in his prime and had a lot of thoughts and recollections and memories about the superstar. So without further ado, I'm going to take you to that conversation right now. Okay, so for this very special episode of Shut Up and Wrestle, where we are remembering the career and the legacy and the accomplishments of superstar Billy Graham, I thought it was a great opportunity to have back on the show one of really one of my most popular guests, one of the guests that has gotten the greatest response, and certainly people that listen to the Arcadian Vanguard podcast know him. And uh, he he was a great fan and admirer and grew up watching Superstar Billy Graham. And it's my pleasure to have him back on the show to remember the superstar and to toast the superstar. I'm talking about the one and only Howard Baum. Howard, thanks for coming on the show under these unique circumstances.
0: Hey, thank you, my friend, Brian. And hello again, wrestling world. Um, It is indeed a sad, dark day for professional wrestling, especially for people of a certain age. And I want to thank Brian again for having me on here to kind of um, give an epilogue to the life of Superstar Graham through the eyes of one of his biggest fans and somebody who got to know him just a little bit. And I look forward to getting into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know we were we were talking about this just before we started, so well before we started recording. So I want to get to this and actually, because I was kind of saying let's let's make sure we talk about this on the show. But uh, we were just talking about in terms of the promos he would do, especially and the presence that he had was so unique because, like I was telling you, I posted a, a Superstar Billy Graham promo in sort of remembrance of him uh, on my Facebook page. And when I watched it, and I watched it a few times, that's what really struck me is the fact that there's nobody that could do this today and and maybe not even back then. It's just the energy and the reality of it, the the way you believe it. You know, it's like you're watching him talk, you're listening to him talk. The crowd is in the palm of his hands. This is Madison Square Garden. And it's done in a way where you you understand that this is a persona, you know, it's like Muhammad Ali talking or whatever, but you still really and truly believe what he's saying. It feels very real. You know what I mean?
0: Funny you should say that because I lived through this contemporaneously at the time, like I didn't have to go back. I know you're fortunate enough to be a little younger than me. (laughs) The one advantage of being a little older is, a, we had better music. B, we had better wrestling. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. The 50-plus crowd will really, you know, pop for that. But it's the truth, I'm sorry to say. And, um, you know, the thing, as a kid, I was gobsmacked by his interviews. And I was raised on Dusty Rhodes. And still, with as, as great as Florida was, I felt like Florida was almost like Superstar Graham was too big for Florida. I felt like he was too big for wrestling and certain personalities you, you didn't know at the time that the promoter was controlling them and their destiny was not theirs. Right. And their time was limited. You just thought that, that this guy, as you put it in something that you wrote, like from another planet, because, and as a kid, I just saw something with Kevin Sullivan where he said superstar knew how to talk people into the building. And he was in that upper, upper echelon of people who could literally do that. He could make something seem so special because as I said, in one of my posts that people seem to have glommed onto and appreciate, um, it was like seeing a psychedelic Godzilla in person. You just couldn't believe that any one human being could have so much going on and if you think about the greats in the business, there's the rap, there's the look, and there's the work. And some people say, and even Superstar said, that he's not the greatest worker, but you have to put yourself back in that time, 1976, Miami Beach Convention Center, the assassin, Ox Baker, people were not doing topes and flying around, this was built on personality, and aura and nobody had more personality and aura than superstar Graham. And I don't use this term loosely. The very fact that the word legend gets thrown around and innovator. And I mean, you know, everybody who's anybody gets the highest accolades now just because they were there. But I'm here to tell you, folks, I saw it on TV contemporaneously I saw it live at the Miami Beach Convention Center, and it was literally pandemonium. <laughs> I mean, I, I always, this is an indelicate way of saying it, but I always categorize seeing superstar as a kid, it looked like the sun literally shone out of his ass. And that's the only way I can describe what he was like, because it was, he was head and shoulders above any other kind of wrestler. He was bigger, shinier, and it wasn't just like, oh, Ali Pasha, he looked great. He could talk, and not only could he talk, but better than anybody. And when it comes to the issue of could he work, for that time, yeah, he could work. I just saw clips of him against Ivan Putzky. He was flying around for Ivan Putzky. People were going nuts. He had a big, giant frame. He took enough bumps. You know, he flew around the ring enough. And what I found odd, because I was such a fan of his, I'm like, why is he even like selling for anyone? Like, who could he not beat? And Dusty, I think, was the closest to him. I would put Dusty at maybe 0.25 lower than Superstar. They were very equal. When they came together, it was like it was two sides of the same coin. They were just about as charismatic, just about as dynamic Just about as over, the yin to each other's yang, and it was a perfect matchup. Um, The only reason I give Superstar the nod, I'd say his rap was a little better, especially as a heel, and the fact that Dusty admittedly copied Superstar, as did Flair and a host of other guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that uh, if the the difference, because, you know, Dusty. Is more known as as for his babyface promos and superstar Graham for the heel promos. I think that's a that to me is the way to delineate them. Like, because like, it's hard to compare. Like for me, the 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 greatest babyface promo guy to me is Dusty Rhodes. And the greatest mm-hmm. heel promo guy, I would say, for me at least, is a is a dead heat between superstar Billy Graham and Rick Flair. Very yeah. different styles, very different but in terms of just how you can't take your eyes off of it and you feel the energy that they're putting out and it's something that it transcends wrestling and it feels real even though, even now when you watch it and you know they're taking on a persona, you still believe it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because Flair made you feel it. Dusty certainly made you feel it. If I had to put it in order, I'd say superstar, Dusty, Flair for making you feel what they want you to feel and getting you into it and talking you into the building. And um you know, a, a lot of the people that copy him they're I mean, they also couldn't work like Hogan and Ventura, but they also couldn't talk like Superstar cuz Superstar was not a cliché gimmick where he said the same tagline every time. As a kid I was like, where does he get this stuff from? some of the things you repeated a few times and you know as one does but i mean for the most part he had such a strong rap in those days and um you know it just really set him apart it, it's hard to imagine how in today's world how really different he was back then and how much he stood out that's the because thing because it wasn't just one thing he was a miraculous combination of of elements that came together never seen anything like it
1: that's the thing because it's hard to understand when you're living in the time after when you know and seeing everything that he influenced and the people that copied it and the people you know it's like you can compare it to other things and i'll get really pretentious here but like for example for example when people talk about how great led zeppelin was you know and, and if you're living in a world in later decades where you've got all these bands that just copied different aspects of what they did, it might not lead you, it, it will lead you maybe to not fully understand what an impact they made when they came out. Or like a, a great example, and this is super pretentious, but like I've taught film in high school and to other, you know, to, to students. And when I, when I try to explain to them Citizen Kane, and they'll go oh my god what's the big deal it's just a movie it's just a movie what's you know why is this such an important movie and i'll go you got to understand that they made movies differently before and after this movie and it's hard to understand because we're living now 80 years later what the impact was but at right. the time, at the time, you would have seen it and understood it. So if I could compare superstar Billy Graham to Citizen Kane, it, it's kind of like that. When you're living in a right. world where wrestling is patterned after what he did, it's sometimes hard to understand the importance of what he
0: did. Well, exactly. And how tremendous that you use the same analogy that I came up with today when I was driving around in anticipation of this appearance. I said, you know... When the bands of the 70s imitated the most famous and successful groundbreaking group, Led Zeppelin, they copied only one or two aspects the volume, or the shrieking, or the guitar tone. But, you know, there's a reason Deep Purple was never Led Zeppelin. You can't recreate an original. And Hulk Hogan is uh, Superstar's most famous. Devotee, but he didn't have the natural rap, the natural charisma. He had a striking presence, and he was put over big time. But I mean, if superstar would have been given the belt, um I mean, he you know, he had the belt. If they would have turned him face, and there were so many built-in programs for him to turn face. I swear to you, it would have been bigger than Hulkamania. It would have been cooler than Hulkamania his only problem was that he was ahead of his time.
1: Right. And, because uh, it, it couldn't have happened in the eighties because by then he was done. It would have had to have happened. Like, like someone was saying, if Vince junior had been in charge at the time, you know, at at that mm-hmm. moment in, in the late seventies, instead of the mid eighties, then it would have worked. And you probably, and you <laughs> would have had him, you would have had nothing against Bob Backlund, but you would have had him instead of Bob Backlund. And it probably would have been a run Similar or close to that, either that not saying he would have held it for that entire time, but he might have lost it, won it back. He he would have gone face. He might have even gone back heel again. You could have done so many things with him if you were trying, you know, all the mechanisms were already in place to try to do a national expansion at the time if somebody had thought to do it. And it could have been done with him if it was if that if, if it was in that moment.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely, and he was so much more the authentic article because you could not not like him. Like, there's something. I mean, what is there even to like about Hogan? Oh but come on, like, Somebody
1: likes something about him.
0: <laughs> well, you know, he's Marcus, like the biggest hey, wrestling
1: star of all time. <laughs> Howard, come on now.
0: No, not for me. Sorry, <laughs> maybe it's Japan stuff, but I'm not gonna. I'm not here to put over Hulk Hogan. Sorry. But I found you, his interview I found his interview style really obnoxious, you know?
1: Yeah, but I mean uh, but let me I don't want to like go on a Hogan tangent, but I have to say it may uh, not be it may not be everyone's cup of tea. I understand that it wasn't even my cup of tea when I was a kid, honestly. But I think especially if you're a kid at the time, if you're a little kid, I mean, he had something special as a talker. He had he had a power he did he had an energy he had a presence he was like a living superhero um i'm and i'm i'm not knocking him by saying that superstar could have done it and probably done it better but but i mean hogan had had something spe- i i like i'm able to appreciate him now as a talker looking back and watching him you know do his promos and do his thing and maybe it's a little more formulaic but it's it's pretty magical stuff, I have to say.
0: Well, okay, I I'm gonna bust out the old cliche. We're <laughs> gonna have to agree to disagree on that one, my friend. Yes. But I did come in a little earlier than you, and I was raised yes. on Dustin and superstar and such. And you know, to me by then, I resented the entire everything that happened in WWF after 1985 anyway even though some of it was great like TNT and whatever which we've discussed previously but still I it, I'm a I'm a purist I'm like Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds it's like no we're going to do strict blues and I'm I want strict wrestling I was raised on Eddie Graham so I can appreciate some of what Hulk has done in the ring but his persona I always saw as a watered down superstar and yeah, it was <laughs> um, and I mean Like, think about it. Hogan was not known for his work, and Superstar was not known for his work. But Superstar's matches were still more exciting. And I mean, his his overall thing was more exciting. I mean, you know, okay. People, you guys are used to people in tip-top shape. From small guys to tall guys, everyone just ripped and huge and everything. Everyone from Brian Cage to Scott Steiner... You know I mean there's so many big guys now. there was like two guys that were that were bodybuilders back then, Superstar Graham and maybe Earl Maynard and maybe sailor art Thomas when I mean, did Tony Atlas
1: come along? what didn't you have
0: right? That... yeah he would be yeah, you're right about that. He was in the seventies totally, and he was pushed big too back then for his physique and all that stuff for sure. He didn't have the rap of Superstar Graham, no. and you know it was. Re- wrestling was racist AF back then, so he certainly wasn't <laughs> going to be a champion. No. But I um, mean, he, he filled a good role. He was definitely a powerhouse back then. You're you're right about that. Um, but I mean, and Jesse Ventura, if we're going to talk knockoffs, Jesse did well for himself because he is a legitimate, organic, authentic talker in his own right, and he didn't do a lot of the superstar. Style rap, but he had a cool enough rap with his Minnesota accent that I will not attempt. It's not <laughs> one of my characters.
1: Oh, that's will disappointing. The good
0: uh, Jesse Ventura. Role. Oh, it's perfect. It's it's absolutely. Yeah, perfect. yeah, it's crazy. You think it's Brian him. found it? Brian last found a guy who does a, a Jesse too, and I, I didn't catch the guy's name, but he was gonna he was gonna be on the six hundred five at some point. He, point. he did like a perfect Jesse. I have a problem with the Minnesota accent. I've tried to do Eric Bischoff, and I can't do it. You I'm, know, there's.
1: There's a wrestler in WWE named Karrion Cross. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he does an amazing Jesse Ventura. He's (laughs) he's posted it on social media before. And I mean, he's a young guy. He's a young guy. I almost wonder if he even remembers Jesse, but he does a great Jesse Ventura.
0: Yeah. The Midwest action is very hard. I've never been able to nail that.
1: (laughs) But you see, I always felt with Jesse Ventura that the whole body... Nickname almost felt like it was like an in joke
0: or something because I <laughs> right, mean, because I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, he's not as jacked as you think he is, as no, he thinks he is. He's not, you know, he's, I mean, he was almost there, but I mean, he didn't have the tan, he didn't have the I definition,
1: mean, he was just a big, right. big guy, you know.
0: Yeah, he was kind of like a truck driver in in paisley tights. It's like you know, almost, but I mean, do a little more. He needed a little more size, a little more cut, and definitely some color. I mean, I know he was in the AWA for most of his life, but um, he was too white, right? But the
1: thing with superstar and and I thought I, before I forget this when you, we were talking about him and Dusty, especially, um, he was. The the benefit of if they had said, okay, we're gonna go with Superstar Graham, the reason that it, it was working so well was because it was so different, especially in the in the WWF territory in New York. People were ready for something like this. It's like I, I, I said in the post that I wrote too: like people always like to say it's this cliche that I don't agree with that superstar Billy Graham came along too soon, that it was 20 years too soon. And I'm thinking, you know what? No, it, it it wasn't that he was coming along too soon. It was that the the wrestling business was so behind the times. Like the mm-hmm. the world was ready, the fans were ready. Look, it's it's not like this was like 1945. It was the late <laughs> 70s. It was funky ass right. New York City. They were ready right. for superstar Billy Graham. And you know, look. I remember the last time we talked on here and, you know, you know, we dis- we agree to disagree on Bruno and I, I love
0: Bruno. I grew no, no, up. No, I mean, him. I totally get it. I completely get that. I mean, he's not my guy, but I get that, but it was such a, yeah, I get, a complete... I get I'm a, I'm much more of a Bruno fan than a Hogan fan. I will say that.
1: But it was such a break from that you had, you know, the, they were doing the whole like humble ethnic baby face thing forever. And the good guy's always winning and, you know, the bad guy's always getting run out of town. And now you had this loud mouth, complete, arrogant asshole that you couldn't help but love, who was just beating right. everybody. He he cheated to beat Bruno. It didn't matter. He kept the belt. Nobody did anything about it. He's just steamrolling over everybody. And people are like, it's almost like you feel the energy of people going God damn it, I know I'm not supposed to like this, but I can't help it. Like, I, I just can't help liking this guy, you know?
0: Look at the crowds when he was doing that interview that you talked right. about and other stuff. I mean, come on. He was he was as cool as it gets. I mean, you can't compare him to anyone else. I'm calling him the number one guy of all time at what he did. And by that, I define that as he's shown like nobody else shown, he literally shown. Not, you know, if you if you people saw him in the '80s, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. If you saw the Karate gimmick, or you saw the Florida run, or you saw the WCW run, please. Right. I mean, it would it would would have been better off for him um, if, if he never <laughs> even did any of that, because uh, us people of a certain age know enough that. He shined like no other, from like let's say seventy four to seventy eight, and I mean, um, I I said in this little tribute that I did to him that he had the greatest five year run of anybody ever, and paid for it with the rest of his life.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, really- it was
0: really really a Faustian deal, and very interesting. Um, he, I'm going to be posting this. Uh, it's going to be called Howard Baum Interviews Superstar Graham. So you can look for it on YouTube. I just, my phone is in the shop, as everybody who knows me knows. You people don't care about that. But when the time's right, look up Howard Baum Interviews Superstar Graham. Come see my page, Howard Baum, on Facebook. And I'm going to be posting this interview that I did with Superstar on a radio show that we did, the Kendall Toyota um, Wrestling Rap in 1995. And I asked Superstar, knowing how it all ended up and this was just the beginning of his physical troubles and he was already in a world of pain yeah uh it's 95 so you know that's well after his ankles fell apart and his hips and everything and i said i said you shone like no other but now that you see all the pain that you're in would you have done it again and what do you think he said yes nope ha! he goes no he goes, I would not do it, definitely, for the pain that I'm going through now and everything, definitely not worth it. Wow. But, however, I did hear him say the opposite on a later interview.
1: Well, so, he, probably, guess, he probably fluctuated on it. I, I guarantee exactly. you it's it's something that he thought about a lot himself.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because he knew what because he did. It's I mean, quite a, It's quite know. a deal with the devil. In the interview that I did with him, he said, you know, after um, – part of part of him was falling apart. I don't remember what I was listening to it in the car today to see if I can get some tidbits to repeat here. And um, he said, once some of his bones started falling apart, his osteopath told him, you know, this is from the steroids. I think it was his ankles at the time or something. He's like, well, you know, I can live with this. And he quoted some uh, bodybuilder guy who said, once you're on steroids, you're on steroids for life because you feel so good and it takes care of everything. As he said in his book, like he didn't have to eat. I discussed this with him at CAC too. He's like, you don't have to eat, you know, just work out a little. And like the the steroids take care of everything, energy and everything. And so he's like, yeah, it's just something you get hooked into. And um, in the same breath, I also asked him about, this was right around the time or shortly after where Hogan came out under a lot of fire. Cause he kind of faved the fact that he did steroids on Arsenio. Right. I'm sure that you remember that. And he's like, no, I never did it only, you know, for one injury. And I only did it for a few weeks or something like that. Something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That made and it I even said, worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well I said to superstar, um, you know, exactly what I said. Hogan has come under a lot of fire for not really owning up to his steroid use on Arsenio. And I said to Superstar, but don't you think that all the kids who want to emulate him would see that as an endorsement of doing steroids? And he said, that's a great point. And he used to discuss that with Big John Studd, because Big John Studd used to do, um, you know, to give talks in high schools and stuff like that, speak to the young. And Big John Stud is like, well, if I tell them the truth, they're going to see the pitfalls of it. But if I they're also going to say, oh, now I forgot exactly what the point was. But well, they're going I, to
1: think they're going to think that it has some rewards, too.
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. And I and he goes, that's the discussion that he has with Big John Studd. And Studd decided to not tell them because he didn't want to be see, see he didn't want it to be endorsing it. And i To me, I think that's smart because if I was a kid and one of my heroes was doing it, I'd say, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, like as a kid, I'm like, I said to my dad, like when I was 16, how long do you think we got some weights set at Sears with the concrete, with the plastic over it? I'm like, how long do you think it'll take before I look like Superstar Graham? (laughs) And he said about five years. And I said to myself, that's reasonable. I was like 16 at the time, already a fan, like since I was nine. Yeah. But you know, I was a shrimpy kid, so I didn't get my weights until I was like 16, and I, I applauded my dad in my head for not lying to me because five years sounded pretty reasonable to be superstar Graham. I mean, yeah, you'd be, you'd be right, 21.
1: You'd be 21. Right, you're get
0: there overnight. And then, of course, like steroids didn't enter into it. Nobody knew what a steroid was back then. And then you guys also have to realize what a dry world and what a small world it was back then. I mean. Florida Championship wrestling was great, but you had wrestling, evil can evil, three channels, and here comes this guy. you know I mean, really, I can't put anyone over more than him.
1: yes, but like because he stood out so much because he was so different. And you know, I could even see that. Like, I, I want to explain too. I, I know I'm a little younger than you, and we, you know we talk about that a lot. And it, but it makes a difference. But here's the thing: I, you know, I grew up in New York, and I grew up in a very kind of working class neighborhood. A lot of wrestling fans. It was an Italian neighborhood. A, you know, a lot of there. I had a couple of older fans in my family. So, sort of by osmosis, I had an awareness of some of these guys, like. I can never remember a time that I didn't know who Bruno Sammartino was, even when I wasn't watching wrestling or interested in wrestling. I knew who he was. I even knew who Rocca was. It was just a name that was in the air in this neighborhood, you know, just talking to people and superstar Billy Graham was one of those people because when I started getting into, or at least being aware of wrestling, knowing about it, you know, around the time of WrestleMania starting it was only a few years like it wasn't that long of a time it had, the memory was still strong among fans in new york like it was still a name that was talked about and so i remember even when he came back which was really like my own first personal experience with him which was very unfortunate but when they tried to do the comeback with him in 87 like i knew who i knew who he was so i knew like i had an expectation of like wow this is going to be something special i st- I, st- I still remember the show the episode of WWF superstars where they introduced him to the crowd. People went nuts. Cause I think it was a TV taping in the Northeast or somewhere where they knew who he was. And it was like, there was a lot of goodwill and it just, as we all know, it just totally fell apart. It was, it was very, very disappointing, but that, but I knew already, but it wasn't like I was sitting there going, Hey, who's this guy? You know, I knew of his importance. I knew who he was and it's just a shame. I, I didn't get to, you know, really see it happening live, what I got to see was, you know, sort of a disaster.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it was sad at that point, and I was like rooting for him, but I I mean, um, after his initial run, he was never the same again, unfortunately. No, no he um, wasn't.
1: Yeah. Like you said, it was a very short thing. run.
0: Yeah, it's an odd, odd thing. I mean he had like, you know, five great years and maybe what, what, like two as champion? And um
1: not even one. Uh, it wasn't even one year really? as champion. It was really? like, it was about, but here's a crazy thing. Uh, now he, he was about 10 months as champion. And to do that with a heel in the WWF was so rare that, and I was researching this because I I had to write an obituary for him for the wrestling news. Um, he, they didn't, the record in WWE for a heel world title reign was not broken for 40 years until Brock <laughs> I'm serious Brock Lesnar when uh, in 2018 he fin- he held it for a little over a year as a heel and it was the longest you know it broke the record 40 year record of and it was only yeah, 10 no months doubt.
0: No doubt well that was the paradigm it was like you know babyface ethnic champion. um I I tell you what though it's it's okay so let's say superstar would have been champion I say his longevity as champion would have been dictated by his hair. Because eventually, his hair was going, to, was going to turn on him. And Hogan proved that you can get by with a fringe once you're super over, right?
1: Right. And but, maybe- Ho- but Hogan had a lot more hair when he first started
0: on that run. You know what's, you know what's weird, though? That's true. And that's completely true. But... Superstar somehow through magic in in the same magic that whereby Dusty didn't look fat Superstar didn't look balding <laughs> never occurred to me as a kid that this guy he looked like he had less hair in his earlier photos like from Stampede and stuff where he he had dark hair. I Once he grew it out and dyed it I, I didn't think he had hair like Ric Flair but his hair looked cool. The thing is if that hair went, it's like Ric Flair. Certain gimmicks are, are predated on the hair. That's, I mean, as somebody said to Robert Plant once, do you think your career could have survived baldness? He goes, I don't know if I could have survived baldness. <laughs> and it, I mean, that's fine for a lot of guys. Stone cold. I mean, thank God for him that he went bald. But, um, you know, when you're a blonde kind of pretty boy, when that's your gimmick, and I hate to be superficial – um, but that's the way of the world. I mean, his hair his hair, and his, and his sideburns, no less, were a big part of it. And I mean, if he was super over, maybe he could have gotten by on the fringe. But I say that that original gimmick was only going to last as long as his hair lasted. And I hate to be a phobe or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> I'm an kind of guy. And, I mean, think about it. Later in life, he got his physique back pretty much, maybe in the mid-80s. And he was—he could have been the old superstar again. He was a little thicker, but I mean, he was still built and he was still huge, but now he was bald. So he had to do his art, his creative hair work on his face. And it wasn't the same, because he came off as kind of like a jacked Jimmy Valiant at that head point. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Which I never, th- I never thought it. of I, it
0: that way. Yeah. I wish so much more for him because he deserved it more than anybody. I mean... To be that big of a star and still be around and still be alive and just have such a precipitous fall and then just spend the next 33 years bitter and sick, it's just not fair. And I don't blame him for being bitter. I'm, I'm bitter over, my, uh, over things that happened to me, much less you were the king of Madison Square Garden, the king of New York. And they're like, sorry.
1: Right. That's a it's a tough pill to swallow. And he never got over it. And first of all, you know, as far as his health, I think, you know, even if they had run with him, if they had said, hey, we're going to keep it on you, we're going to turn you, we're going to do a lot with you. um, It definitely there was a there was a time limit, like, for example, by the time of Hogan and WrestleMania, like by that whole era, he was going to be done. So I mean, if they had run with it, it would have been a good run. But it would have been maybe a good five year run, and then they yeah, would've... like I'm
0: I'm thinking, um, geez, just based on my hair theory, give him another two years, you know, maybe through 1980ish. Uh, and I don't I don't see how he could continue the exact same gimmick. But think about this. Think about champion. Babyface, Superstar Graham, or even heel for that matter, on Johnny Carson. We had three channels. If you're a star, you're a big star. You'd have Superstar Graham on Johnny Carson. People would be taken aback. Nobody's ever seen a specimen like this.
1: He was made for it.
0: As a matter of fact, I was watching a thing on Superstar on YouTube the other night. That was done by a non-wrestling guy. His his thing is like the bodybuilder, and he was talking about how he was actually bigger than Arnold. His arms were bigger than Arnold, and they were putting him over. Like he got the wrestling part wrong. He's they thought he actually trained Ric Flair and trained Dusty Rhodes. I'm like, where are they getting that from? They were influenced by him, but I think that's where they, you know, they didn't quite understand what they were talking about. But the rest of it, from a bodybuilding perspective, he was like a legend. In that department, and then when you add the pizzazz that he had and the ability to talk, imagine him going on Johnny Carson
1: and doing what they were doing with him and Dusty Rhodes at that time was again, it was such a special thing because of a feud like that, a, a rivalry between two guys that had that kind of color and could talk like that and were so totally larger than life again it was unlike anything that the wwf had done it was a total sea change to, to especially with the two of them together it, it was just like it
0: was, it, was, it was so cool to see dusty bring the bull rope up to madison square garden i like i love when wwf would do southern style wrestling but like pat patterson and slaughter or patterson and iron Sheik. Like, get down and dirty and let's do something for a change. My God. <laughs> <laughs> like, Baron Secluda in a, a hammerlock for 45 minutes until hey, we go home. They had yeah. a formula.
1: They had a formula and it worked. But the exciting <laughs> right thing. Away, the, but deviating must, from it was amazing. It was thrilling, you know?
0: You must have seen the jobbers that Superstar had to work with when he was on his way to winning the belt and then when he actually had the belt. I remember his first defense, and I swear to God the jobbers just they must have plucked him out of skid row. I mean, these guys didn't know how to do anything, and I mean, it was bad business for them. I don't know why they would employ those guys because they were clearly not trained. Superstar whips somebody into the ropes like they're they're lost. they don't know what to do from there
1: right yeah it it's uh it's puzzling there have been some of those old episodes of championship wrestling that got posted on peacock and they they're the ones around the era of the Larry Zabisco bruno feud and yeah there are some boy there's some job guys on there that they they really take it to new lows there's one guy i wish i could remember his name but there's one guy who's so bad that vince and bruno on commentary they're almost kind of having fun with it just like just yeah, like, yeah. you know, who is this guy? Where'd they find this guy? What's his background? And it's, you right. know, he's just a guy they found hanging out under the under the, the bleachers or something. I don't okay. know what.
0: Yeah, that's like, that's like my favorite Vince when he's making fun of, like, those old school jobbers or something like. Um, yeah, I remember once um, Vince and Bruno were calling a Rusty Brooks match. Rusty's kind of a local legend around here. Yeah. King of the Indies. And um, just the commentary, Vince is like, "Oh, he's a rather poor sign, uh, Rusty Brooks." Like they were just like thinking of every way to call him fat. And Bruno's like, "Well, he actually moves around pretty good for uh, he's a big boy." The things that that commentary stood out to me because I happen to know Rusty, so it's like it was doubly hilarious. The things that
1: they would get in the commentary. I know this isn't superstar related, but it would crack me up. I was in researching the gorilla book there. There was one of the first shows that gorilla ever called. It was a Madison square garden show. That's what they would really have him do before he was even on weekly TV. And he's doing it with Vince. And the feeling I get is that Vince is sort of showing him the ropes. You know, Vince has been doing this now for years. And they're, they they would they would definitely have a lot of fun with the women's matches. I have to say because there's one point I forget who it was. It was one of Moolah's girls, you know, and and Vince says something to the effect of they're they're trying to figure out. She she puts a headlock on right with her right arm, which is unusual. And mm-hmm. Vince Vince said something like Gorilla. You know, I think I think she probably goes both ways, and Gorilla goes. <laughs> Really goes, Vince. I think you're probably right. Just completely (laughs) deadpan, deadpan. And and on one of on one of those championship shows, oh my God, there is a women's tag team match, and it's Moolah and Moolah and the gang. And you could hear Vince and Bruno like when they're off. You could hear them go off mic, and and they're laughing. And and there's a. there's a couple of points where you could almost hear under their breath, like Bruno, who, you know, never had a bad word for anybody, under under his breath, you almost hear him go like, Oh, Jesus. Like
0: just uh, because funny. they're
1: they're so bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such a good thing going up there at the old WWF. I mean <sighs> you know, like when uh, t- Apples and oranges to me, because, you know, down in Florida, our job matches were like Gordon, Gordon Nelson, Jeff Portz, Reggie Parks, all of the main event guys in their own right, just like 15 years past their prime. And I mean, there was more wrestling in the undercard of a Florida show on any given night than there was anywhere. We yeah. just spoiled down here, yeah. that's for sure.
1: I've seen it, so I know you're right. It definitely was. It's like they always say, you educate your fans to accept what you give them. And so, like, if you, uh, you, you talk to fans that grew up on uh, WWF wrestling or other territories that might have been a little slower or less less exciting or whatever, and, and you never hear them complain because that's what they grew up with. That's what they were given. And that's what they were taught to enjoy. But Yeah. Um,
0: I totally get that. I mean, what's more New York than W O R Midnight? There you go. You know, Madison Square Garden. I mean, I'm not poo pooing it. Believe me, I was a fan of all that.
1: But that's the thing. It was a lot of it was sold on the aura. Like, and it reminds me again of like like you mentioned how Superstar was a better worker than Hogan, and it's true to me because there's more. His matches are more exciting. And even though, you know, still he's a big power guy, he's a muscle guy, you're not going to see, you know, he's not in there doing all chain wrestling or whatever, but but his matches are more exciting. And like, for example, again, with uh, him, like, let's say him working with Dusty, I know we've talked about that a lot, but, you know, one of their matches, it's actually the match that Cody Rhodes always talks about where Dusty almost won the title at the Garden and he took the belt and he put it on and the referee took it away from him and all this stuff. And and I and you, you go back and you watch the match. It's it's a fifteen minute match, and if you are just looking at it move for move, it's nothing special. I mean, it's really not. It, it's very pedestrian, but what what puts it over the top and makes it incredible to watch is just the the power of their personalities and the way they sell yeah. it, the way they put it over their facials, just the energy that they put into things into little things it makes you totally get into it even though if you break it down you're like well what are they really doing it's not a whole hell of a lot but it doesn't matter
0: yeah because they were both so mythical yeah it was just too mythical and i don't think beside bruno and this is one of the things i asked him in my estimation bruno and dusty had to be his two greatest opponents And he agreed with me on that. And I said, can you pick one over the other? And he said, no, because they were both really organic. Like up north, of course, everything you just said, Bruno was the man. It's inconceivable that anybody would beat him. And then Dusty, of course, was a force of nature, who I don't put much lower at all than Superstar. I mean, the only advantage that I give Superstar over Dusty is his size, the fact that he was in shape. And really, that was like a tremendous part of his gimmick that he was a Superman. And as a kid, I found it incredible, the literal definition of incredible. I didn't believe it that Dusty would like wipe the mat with Superstar because Dusty dominated most of their matches down here. And I mean, rightfully so, I guess. But as a kid, I was thinking, like, who could beat Superstar Graham? It was like Andre. Like I mean, you can't take it seriously if somebody's beating them. They might get a momentary advantage, but Dusty. Had, I remember this one match. Um, Dusty was like working an arm uh, hammerlock on Superstar, and Superstar was selling it. I'm like, in what world? <laughs> like as as, as over as Dusty is, and the people were going nuts, mind you. I mean, never seen excitement like that before. Dusty alone in the '70s was pure excitement like everything that you would think it would be and then add superstar to that my god it was almost inconceivable this guy that you saw in the magazines and let me make this point i think a lot of us have have, a lot of us have experienced this as wrestling fans we only have seen a certain wrestler through the magazines and we really look forward to seeing them and invariably in my case they were all a disappointment one by one i'd be like oh my god this guy's coming this guy's coming well, all, none of them ever lived up to the hype. Mr. Wrestling 2, Mil Mascaris, Baron Von Raschke, all these guys I've been reading about in the magazines all these years didn't live up to any of the hype. Superstar exceeded the hype, which was already tremendous on my part. I was already primed for him from the magazines. And when I saw him, it was more impressive than I thought it would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I could see that because he, again, he was so different. So there was no way even that the magazines could do him justice. Cause look, let's face it. That was their job, right? Their job was to make everybody sound like, look, I've done that job. Their job was (laughs) to make everyone sound like they were the second coming of Jesus Christ and get everybody excited. And and, and have you come down to the arena to see them. So, and it just so happens that every now and then in a rare situation, they would actually be correct, you know, about, Mm -hmm. about that. But, but the thing with, uh, with the two of them is my understanding, at least from talking to people who were fans at the time. And if you look at the, uh, one of those matches, I think it's actually the matching question where, where Dusty almost wins the belt, he wins the match on a countout, which I thought was really, really clever. Because I guess apparently titles were allowed to change hands on countouts in Florida. I don't know if that's correct, but people, no, no, people had said that that was part of the angle that Dusty thought that he was that he had won because of that. But whether or not that's the case,
0: oh, they might have said that, but that was not a Florida. I, I think that's yeah. what they
1: said. But the but the uh, the attendance for that show is like the second highest live attendance for wrestling at the garden in history. And, and Uh, I guess from talking to people, the understanding was like that fans a hundred percent thought Dusty's getting the belt tonight. And that's why they had to show up because they absolutely thought he's totally going to win this and he's going to get the title. And I think part of that too, is they just weren't used to a heel having it that long. They kind of figured, well, I guess, uh, this is the transition. It's going from Bruno to Dusty.
0: Yeah, I wonder how many were really in tune to, like, you know, the way that they actually booked. And, you know, because sometimes you could feel it without even being smart. You just know that the end of a match is coming, or, you know, this guy's leaving the territory. And you're not smart. I'd be 10 years old and I'd say to my friend, watch, this guy's going to hit Joe Luke three times. He's going to make his eyes big. He's going to throw him in the ropes, do something to him, and it's going to be over. And that's exactly what happened. Because if you see patterns enough, and I guess as a WWF fan, I don't know if it registered with them that we only have babyface ethnic champions or anything's possible. Yeah.
1: I mean, probably a a percentage of them had an inkling, even if they couldn't articulate it or really spell it out, but just had a sense for Mm -hmm. for some, for some things like that. But, uh, you know, I wanted Uh, to talk about, especially before we run out of time, one thing I did want to touch on, because we did talk about how, You know, unfortunately, he did get very bitter and you could understand why, like you said, you really could understand why to get so close to something like that. And then also to have your body betray you and everything else. And the fact that the the matter is, you know, he 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 said and did a lot of crazy things over the years after that. And and I when I met him, I, I got to be around him when he was welcomed back to WWE in the two thousands when they put him in the Hall of Fame. They,
0: yeah, they, he hugged Vince in the uh in the catering room and all that. All was yeah. well.
1: For for a moment. It was
0: for a year or exactly. two. Exactly. I was like I was like good for him. And it was like my famous WFIA angle. <clears throat> I say it was like my famous WFIA angle with Lance And Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich, like everything was great for one minute. Then you see Lance go like, Oh crap. And it was over because it didn't take long. What I don't get is why superstar had a bad mouth them when they were already throwing him a bone, they already gave him so many opportunities. And I don't know if he was still with them or under some kind of a Legends thing. And he still disparaged them. I'm like, are you crazy? You're going to lose your last chance again.
1: Well, he was saying crazy stuff like when he said that Kofi Kingston needed to get on steroids. Like, I mean, that's just nuts, yeah, right. especially for like somebody like him to say that. I mean, it's it, he right. said some crazy stuff. But, but at the time when I was there, it was crazy because um, I had interviewed him first over the phone. They wanted to do like an introductory feature in Raw magazine to sort of like get fans ready for him. So I, I did a, a long phone interview with him. But then I was going to meet him because, and I thought this was really cool. I don't know if they planned it or if it was just coincidence. The show where he first came backstage for the first time to meet everybody was Mm -hmm. the the Baltimore Arena, which was the building where he beat Bruno San Martino. And, And he actually acknowledged that when he was there and people were mentioning it. And he was just saying, you know, that this is where I won the title but what I remember for that of that night is, look, um, there were still people in the company that wanted nothing to do with him because of the things he'd said and done during the steroid thing and during the the Ring Boy scandal. I, in fact, I remember, and I could say this now because they're both gone. But one guy that abs and, and he was always a company man, but on this day he said. I do not want to see this man. I'm not going to shake his hand. I don't want to be in the same room with him. was Pat Patterson, Pat Patterson, Pat Patterson, who would do anything Vince asked him to do basically said, I'm not playing nice with superstar Billy Graham. I'm sorry. Everyone else can say now he's the nicest guy again, and we love you and you're back in the fold. But as far as I'm concerned, he, he wanted nothing to do with him. And I remember it was like, um, backstage, it was almost like, um, there was like a tension, like, of, of having to make sure that they were nowhere near each other, you know.:
0: Oh wow. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's kind of like from the stories that come out about Pat Now, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe this is a ticket for not what we caught you doing, but for other stuff you've done. Like maybe it was, you know, Superstar did come up with some horrible lies. And just really told detailed stories about Pat that were not true, that Superstar admitted were not true, and apologized to Pat. And Pat never accepted it. And I don't blame him because the last thing Pat needed was that bad publicity right at that point in time. And the Superstar made it so specific. He's like, I saw him touch that boy. It was with his left hand, he was on the ring apron. And like, wow, that sounds really specific. Like, how are you going to make that up? But he's a worker, and he did make that up.
1: Yeah, and there were other times with other people, too, where it was it was kind of astonishing where, like, he would – it almost made me feel like maybe – because we know that he was struggling with depression and things. If maybe it was – the, these were emotional and mental issues that he was struggling with because there would be times where he would do these complete 180s, you know, like um, – all, when he he he's trashing Linda McMahon now all of a sudden this is after he'd been accepted back he's saying that he wants to you know give his hall of fame ring back and all this stuff and yeah. then the, the minute he gets into another health crisis he's saying how much he loves the McMahons again and you know exactly. Some, exactly some of that stuff it's you felt almost like embarrassed for him you know
0: well exactly this is these are the years where i said Superstar definitely needs a publicist. He should not be allowed. Like, whoever is, you know, he, he definitely needs to go through somebody. Somebody needs to take control of him because he's his own worst enemy. And I've been rooting for him because he was my number one boyhood idol. And, you, you know, my heart felt for him with his illnesses. And then my brain felt for him because of all the ways he shot himself in the foot. Every time the McMahons would take him back, he would start disparaging them. And I'd be like, are you crazy? This is, you know, you already had a second chance. Um, It's a tragic story. It really is because the man has been in constant pain for like 35 years. It's terrible. I mean.
1: Which has to take a toll on you emotionally too, of
0: course. Yeah, because, you know, um, think about it. Anybody that's ever not been able to do something because of their body or illness or something, you know how frustrating that is. And I mean, you know that was his whole living, that was his whole livelihood, his body,
1: but it's so, one of those uh, things, yeah
0: no, no, no i i' I'm, I'm just saying I can't blame the man i mean i just i think it's I think it's a lot of bad choices and a lot of bad luck, maybe mixed with you know uh his mental um comportment to begin with,
1: yeah, it's a combination of things, like one of the things, and I've told the story, and again, I don't want to. We're not doing a tribute show to, you know, down the guy, but but he's but he was a complex guy. You know, it's the same like if you're doing a tribute show to any of the greats of wrestling or almost any field of endeavor, it's like these are complex guys, especially when you succeed on that level. Like like you could say the same about Flair, you could say the same about Hogan, you could say the same about just about anybody, you could say the same about Dusty for crying out loud. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like what I remember, you know, people are people. But what I remember about interviewing him was the the only time, well, any time the subject changed to anything except himself, he would get <laughs> kind of frustrated and annoyed. Like, why are we talking about this guy? And I'm yeah. like, well, I, I want to talk about the Grand Wizard because he was your manager. Like, I don't know. And, I... And it was just he just well, yeah. he, he wanted to talk about himself, you
0: know that's one of the reasons why he was horrendous as a color commentator because you you would think a guy with the gift of gab but I think Dusty would have the same problem because they have the gift of gab when it comes to themselves um it's just like you know I'm not going to take all this and put someone else over if, you know like I go to put myself over and I kind of see that I mean it's not the job description you're supposed to you know you're done and you're supposed to put the new guys over but I get it I mean Think about it. You're Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Superstar Graham. You've been to the mountaintop, and now you're going to talk about how great Aldo Montoya is. <laughs> That's right. That's a big yeah. name out of a hat. But before we wrap things up, I, I want to say that um, Superstars had mixed reviews in dealing with promoters and fans over the years. Some people will tell a sour story. My stories, thankfully, were all sweet. And I'll tell you a brief one. And, and, it involves some other fans too, and we can end on a positive note unless we Perfect. think of anything else. I thought my segment was going to be 15 minutes. I wrote down like five notes on a piece of paper today. I, I thought I was one of many. I'm very honored that you would have me for an actual long-form Superstar Graham discussion because
1: – Come on. What do you, what do you think? A- you think this is the 605? Come on now. I got, I got one guess. That's what I do.
0: Hey, it's I. I thought it was a special uh, superstar episode. I had no idea that I was solely going to represent my boyhood idol, and I am honored. And I don't quite know if I'm worthy. And I'm sorry to my to my throngs if I'm a little rusty. I've my I'm not freshly over, as Cornette would say. <laughs> but I feel strongly about you know my connection to superstar as a fan and the little bit that I got to know him and uh, I'm just deeply honored. So thank you, Brian. And uh, I will end with, like, a personal superstar story that in in, um, 2008, there was a convention in Monroeville, New Jersey, and uh, Superstar's booth was right next to me, and he was mobbed by fans. And I wasn't – I was eventually going to bug him, but I'm like, I have time. I'm I'm in the room right next to him. I'm not going to – you know, I had my own booth. It was the the beginnings of Hardway Art. It was called H-Bomb Studios at the time had these big canvases up on the wall and stuff. And I had a whole book full of like prints of art and photography and stuff. And my booth was dying a death because the, the regular fan would just rather get an autographed eight by 10 of Dwank or something. And, <laughs> and, you know, they're not looking at, you know, they're not looking for pop art. I've uh, had the
1: experience with my book. I know. Yeah, exactly right.
0: I mean, dead. if there's one guy in the crowd who has a name, they're going to walk right on top of you to get to it and forget your project that you worked on for 10 years. So um, I'm like, well, the hell with this. And I went up to the room, took a little smoke break. And um, when I came down, me and Don Morocco both had the same aroma. And I said, I think we're into the same activities. He said, same cologne. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I digress. (laughs) I digress. But that was a really cool one. Whoever used to run those things in 08 in Monroeville, those things were great because they were like the – it was just like the bar – After the matches, it's like everybody reverted to their natural form. Jannetty, Scott Hall, Morocco, everybody was just roaming around partying. It was great. Anyway, during the day, I have my booth set up, and it's all for naught. I go up to the room, taking my sweet time, come back down. Who do I see sitting in my booth with a throng of people around him now? Superstar Billy Graham. I'm like, hey, man. He's like hey, I'm like, this is my booth. He's like, this is yours, brother. This is amazing. starts putting over my art. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God. And this is the first time I ever met him. I'm like, my biggest idol of all time is putting my stuff over. Are you kidding me? So it was like one of those surreal bucket list moments. And so after it all died down at the bar later, we were commiserating over art and wrestling and fans and everything. And I said, um... You know, I don't know about this uh, wrestling and art connection. Maybe I should do something a little simpler. He goes, "It's over their heads." <laughs> so that's a little insight into Superstar's attitude toward the fans, because he was kind of, he's, uh, he has, he has had a lot of good interactions with fans, but I think he is of that old school mentality, like Abdul the Butcher, where the fans are the marks. They pay the money, but that's not to say he wasn't cool to the fans, uh, on a personal basis. And so later that night at the bar and you know, the clock, the clock, he wasn't on the clock. He was hanging out with Scott Epstein, the former editor of wrestling training illustrated who's a legend in his own right. Produced that magazine with Dan Lurie. And he was one of superstars, agents, managers back in the day, along with Ivan Putsky he would get them gigs. They were involved in the WBF, stuff like that. You know, fans of Wrestling Training International will, illustrated will, will know where I'm coming from. Side note, I never liked that magazine for one reason. It was glossy. It was great. It had different photographers and everything. But half of it was bodybuilders that the wrestling people were not going to care about. And so that's my one gripe with that. But it was a cool magazine. And Scott Epstein was very cool. And he tragically died shortly after that but later in the bar just to show you how nice superstar is this japanese fan saw me hobnobbing hobnobbing with superstar throughout the day much to my amazement and he said maybe you can introduce me to superstar i'm like i don't know how this is going to go but we'll see if superstar is cool so i walked over there he was there with scott epstein and i go hey this japanese fan would really like to meet you and um you know he's like absolutely bring him on over and then I walked away because I didn't want to, like, you know, crowd the guy. And they just spent the nice 20 minutes talking, signing stuff, and everything. Gratis. So I know superstars had some controversial moments. But, you know, all things considered, all things considered, think about it. I think he's a pretty good guy.
1: Well, Howard, I I I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's funny. I was going to... At the end, I was going to say, hey, could you sum up, how would you sum up Superstar Billy Graham? <laughs> and you did it for me. I didn't even have oh, to ask by the you. Way,
0: no, and by the way, uh, famed Miami photographer Don Delian, who was like the generation before me, and he got to shoot the 70s, King Curtis, everything, you know, Dusty in his prime. He shot Ringside in Miami Beach in the 70s before I did in the 80s, and he said Superstar, along with Oliver Humperdinck, were two of the nicest most down-to-earth guys, they pose for you in the ring, in the dressing room. And I told them, like, man, I would have died. Uh, you know, I would have killed my parents to meet superstar Graham in 1976. It's just mind-blowing. And to know that he was cool on top of that at the, at the height of his healdom and when he was the champion and all that. And when I used to follow the dirt sheets, they weren't really dirt sheets back then because they didn't have any information, but, like, uh, Jeff Singer's Dropkick, stuff like that. Fans would say, "Oh, I bumped into superstar in the garden, and he shared weightlifting tips with me, and everything." And it just did my heart good as a ten-year-old kid that even though he's a heel and everything, he's nice enough to, you know, talk weightlifting with the with the regular marks and everything. So I think that says a lot about him because he didn't, he wasn't a heel in real life like a like a Dusty or you know so many or so many other guys were. He was legitimately nice to his fans one on one for the most part from what I gather.
1: Yeah, and I mean especially back then he would have been on top of the world, probably, you know, feeling really good about himself and his career. It, it was it was a great time for him, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly, and he could have easily just shined everyone like half the wrestlers do, but he he took the time apparently and he certainly did with me.
1: That's great to hear because like we both know they 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 tell you not to meet your heroes right you know you never know what's going to happen and a lot of times you have the opposite experience and it stays with you but when you have the positive experience it stays with you too and it, it, that's encouraging to hear and, and 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 I'm glad to hear that he was that he had that side to him you know
0: It's exhilarating imagine leaving your booth and coming back and seeing Bruno San Martino sitting there and saying, "Brian, this is quite a book you did here." You know, like he was, he was, he was like walk outside and fly. I mean, I my feet didn't touch the ground after I saw him sitting at that booth. I'm like, what in the hell? I mean, this is a reward for something I've done in my life because well, uh, you can't—you can't buy that.
1: I died when I—I I met Bruno at a signing several months after I left WWE and I had interviewed him on the phone a few months before I left because Arnold Skolan died. And I insisted on getting quotes from Bruno, even though at the time they, they, you know, they didn't like Bruno and I said, screw it. I'm going to do it. I think I had a feeling they were going to be firing me soon anyway. So, so I reached out to <laughs> Bruno and we had an incredible conversation. I talked to him about, you know, my Italian family and everything. And um, he was, He talked about the fact that he wasn't, you know, in the dealing with WWE anymore. And he didn't approve of them and all that stuff. And he kept telling me in the interview, you know, you should get away from them. You know, they're not good people. You should you should get away. And when I saw him at the signing, like six months later, I go over and I'm like, oh, Mr. San Martino, we spoke when Arnold Scolin died. And he goes, Brian, is that you, Brian? I said, oh oh God. God. yeah, yeah. He, I go, yeah, yeah. It's me. He goes, oh, he goes. What are you doing here? I, I said, well, you know, I, I don't work at WWE anymore now. He goes, oh, that's good. That's good. You took my advice. Good for you. I'm, I'm glad you got he away tremendous. from them.
0: Yeah, and he tremendous. remembered so me. You were, you were in, so you were in Bruno's thoughts. That's tremendous. That's I know. Amazing.
1: He remembered me. So, so I know the feeling. I know. And
0: yeah, that's something. I mean, whoever would have thought. That two crazy kids from Brooklyn would <laughs> climb to such heights. Yeah. Well, you are, but I'm not. But I, I love how everyone from Brooklyn says, whoever would have thought, a guy from Brooklyn. Meanwhile, like 8 million people have come out of Brooklyn and been successful. But it's like <laughs> Larry King, he's like, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. Like, yeah, who spawned like millions of famous people by now.
1: Yeah, Brooklyn per <laughs> capita, I think, of fa- famous people has to be. Pretty much higher than anywhere else on the planet. <laughs> right. You're
0: exactly. Everyone from Gabe Kaplan to <laughs> Larry King. Though, I go, Who would have thought? A kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. You my, were 10 million dollars.
1: My dad's high school, New, New Utrecht High School in Brooklyn, like basically half of every comedian of the mid-20th century, I think, graduated from that high school pretty much.
0: Huh.
1: Well, Howard, we, we're going totally off the rails here, but... Um, This was uh, this was very nice. And I'm glad that you were able to take some time and reminisce. And I know like we're fresh in the moment for people that are listening. This is like the we're recording this the day after. So it's nice to be able to talk to somebody about the superstar that had such admiration for him. And um, and this was really great.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm glad I had that much in me. I didn't really have that much prepared, but it's kind of like, you know, when you really feel strongly about something, you don't need too much preparation. It's like talking about a family member or something. So again, Brian, I want to, uh, thank you for this rare, rarest of honors, I would say, because there's not too many people who have made more of an impression on me in the wrestling world and superstar. And, uh, So I will finish by saying thank you, Brian, and Godspeed, Superstar Billy Graham.
1: There you have it, folks, my conversation with Howard Baum on the amazing and unforgettable legacy of the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour, Superstar Billy Graham. Howard, thank you very much for coming back to Shut Up and Wrestle and talking about one of your absolute idols as a wrestling fan, the Superstar. Once again, Superstar Billy Graham, dead at the age of 79, gone, but never will he be forgotten by the wrestling community. I hope you enjoyed that look back at the career of Superstar Billy Graham. And I want to look ahead in the weeks to come. I know for those of you that listen astutely, you know that last week, I had originally indicated that this week's guest would be George Shire, the AWA wrestling historian and super old-school wrestling fan. Of course, I had to bump that slightly because I wanted to do this Superstar Graham tribute episode. However, next week, for episode 70, I will be having George Shire as my guest, so you can look forward to that. A couple of other guests coming in the weeks to come, whom I have already mentioned. Abraham Josephine Reisman, the author of the new Vince McMahon biography, Ringmaster, will be here as a guest on the podcast, as well as another wrestling historian and author, Tim Keenan, will be my guest in future weeks to come. Lots of other people lined up that I'm working on. So keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle, and where can you listen? You can go to our website, which is the only place to find every single one of the 69 episodes so far, and that is suawpod.com. Aside from that, you can also go to all the usual places you go to find your favorite podcasts. I'm talking about Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, you know the drill. Find Shut Up and Wrestle there, and while you're at it, Join the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. It's a blast, and I hope to see you there. Additionally, at the top of the show, I mentioned Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Of course, you can find issues of that at pwi-online.com. There's also Inside the Ropes magazine, which I contribute to. Get it at insidetheropesmagazine.com in print and digital form. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention The Wrestling News from Arcadian Vanguard every morning, your daily morning dose of all the wrestling news you can handle. Find it at thewrestlingnews.com. Also find it on YouTube at the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. Subscribe so you will never miss an episode. If you're interested in picking up my book, Blood and Fire, The Unbelievable Real-Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik, You can find copies in print, digital form, and even audio form on Amazon.com at Barnes & Noble and many other fine outlets, as well as my brand new book, Superheroes, The History of a Pop Culture Phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro, which is also now available. If you're looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon You can also find me on Facebook. My author page on Facebook is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been... Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, I lift barbell plates, I eat T-bone steaks, and I'm sweeter than a German chocolate cake. So long, wrestling fans.